This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. There is a question that I ask myself as I think about this moment. And the question is this, how do I begin? What do I say to begin? I ask that question every week, but I wonder, do you ever ask the question, how do I begin? When you walk through these doors and you walk into this room, what's on your mind? And how is it that week after week, lives are changed in a profound way? In fact, in the last month alone, 43 people have given their lives to Jesus in this room, which is awesome. But one thing that's curious to me is that how is it that Sunday after Sunday, message after message, worship set after worship set, in the same room for the same hour, some lives are changed and some are not? How is it that some people feel like, man, God was talking right to me, and other people are thinking, how much longer is this going to take? I see you look at your watches. It's okay. Or your phones. How does that happen? The reality is this, when it comes to our spiritual lives, and yes, even church, it's one of those things that's true for you and it's true for me. We get out of it what we put into it. So there's a prayer that I want to encourage you to pray every single Sunday when you walk through these doors. Or or better yet, every single Sunday morning when you wake up, or every single Saturday night as you go to bed. The prayer is this, God, I want to know you more. Teach me something about you today. Show me what I need today. And the obvious question is, are you open to what God wants to say to you today? Because we're gathering with a lot of other people, but he is a very, very personal God, and he has this unique ability to speak into your life and your life and your life and your life distinctly exactly what you need. And it can be different in each life. The last five chapters, if you're a guest this morning, we're, we're walking through the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, a book that over and over again, it shows how we are broken, and yet God still blesses us, how we mess things up, and yet God has a way of putting things back together in a way that we never could. And in the last five chapters, we've seen Abraham have faith and not have faith. We've seen Abraham follow God and doubt God. We're beginning to understand a little bit more about this guy Abraham, who God picked to be the father of our faith. And one of the things we're beginning to understand, I hope, is that you and I are a lot like him. Today we move into Genesis chapter 17, and this is the chapter where we're going to talk about circumcision. So if you woke up this morning thinking, man, I hope we talk about circumcision at church today, two things, you're right and you're weird. You're like really weird. But that's where we're going. But there's a bigger picture in this. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. There are multiple names for God in the Bible. This placement is very strategic. The name God uses here is very purposeful. God says what he means. It means what he says. And this is not by accident. We'll talk about it in a second. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly 
increase your numbers. I am God Almighty. In the language, it's the name El Shaddai. It, it literally means a God of great power, the mightiest of gods. The reason I think that's so important is you've seen the journey if you've been here. I've seen the journey. Abraham has the ups and downs of life that we have. He goes through days that are really good and days that are a big struggle. And God immediately, when he begins this conversation with Abraham, begins with saying, hey, please, please, please understand. I am the mightiest of gods. What that means is, on the days you fall, I'm big enough to pick you up. When you mess up, I'm big enough to cover it. When you're struggling and you're having a hard time holding on to your faith, I'm still going to be faithful. I'm El Shaddai. God is saying, I see you. I know what's going on. I know what you're wrestling with. Keep following. Keep, keep trusting. There's something about our faith where when we don't see God working, our belief in God tends to fade. Belief in God can fade. But faith in God continues to follow God, even when we can't see what he's doing. And there's a very specific word used in these first two verses. We find it 27 times in the book of Genesis. We find it 13 times in just this one chapter. It's the word covenant. God is establishing a covenant. It's a special kind of relationship that God says he's going to have only with people that are Christians, only with people that follow Jesus. Now, we understand contractual relationships, but covenant relationships are foreign to us. A contractual relationship, I get it. You, you keep your end, I'll keep mine. A, a contractual relationship, you've got to earn it. You, you've got to keep your side of the contract. But a covenant relationship is different. It, it is a gift. It is one-sided. And the giver of the covenant says, I will not break this no matter what. God loves everyone. But he has a clear, focused, purposeful, and passionate love for his children. I love people, but I have to tell you, my bride, my kids, and my grandkids, it is a special kind of love on a different level. Think about it. If you're a parent, when you have a newborn, or if you've ever been around newborns, if you've ever been around babies, you don't even have to be a parent to know this. That baby, honestly, it doesn't bring Jack to the relationship except a lot of poop, waking up in the middle of the night, spitting up all over you. It is very much a one-way kind of love that is unconditional and that is stable and compassionate. And there is no expectation that your three-day-old is going to say, I got my diaper today. I love you. I'll take care of it. It's that kind of love that God offers us. It doesn't matter how we behave, what we do, how we think how we function, how many mistakes we've made. God is that everlasting loving parent at a level of perfection greater than we've ever known. And by the way, because of that, God's love for you is not the finish line. It's the starting line. God's love for you is not something you live working your way toward hopefully achieving his love. God's love for you is something you live from, not working for. But notice in verse 1, he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. He shows up and says, Abram, 
I'm God Almighty. I'm the most powerful. I've got you when you screw up. I've got you on your worst days. I'm going to be there whether you feel it or not. I'm going to take care of you in ways that you can't even see. What I need you to do is walk with me. Your priority, my priority, the first thing he says to Abram is, walk with me. And then verse 3, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, hold on. We're about to read several promises. They have to do with this covenant that God is making with his people. And if you're not careful, this can frustrate you. This is going to be a text that can mess with your mind, play with your emotions, and cause you to question a lot of things about your spirituality in your life. You might even take issue with what's about to happen. Abram fell face down. Now, before we get into that, he's had this promise from God. He's had an encounter with God. It's been at this point 24 years. And he's been holding on to his faith, but he hasn't seen the fulfillment of the promise. It's interesting. He's known God 24 years, and God shows up, and Abram fell face down. Those of you in the room that have known Jesus a long time, when is the last time you were in awe of his goodness? You've known him for decades. When is the last time you just fell face down? And said, God, you have been so good to me. You are such a loving God. Have you gotten over being amazed by God's love? One of the tragedies of following Jesus is we become become so familiar with him and count on him to be our genie in a bottle and do what we need and count on him to be there when we're in crisis and we can get used to knowing God and forget what it was like to not know him. Are you as much in awe of God today as you were the day you met him? Abram, 24 years fell face down. And then God offers this covenant 13 times in this chapter, 27 times in the book of Genesis, and he's going to lay out, here's my promise to you. It is a one-way covenant. I'm not going to break it no matter what you do, no matter how you behave, no matter how much you struggle, what you think, even if you deny me, if you wrestle with your faith, if you battle some doubts, if you go through very low seasons where you're not praying to me, you're not talking to me, no matter what, here's what I'm giving you, not because you're good, but because I'm good. But when you read it, if you grew up in church especially, you've spent a lifetime hearing stories about how God steps into people's lives and does mind-blowing things for them and through them. And we come in this room, and we hear those stories, and then Sunday after Sunday often we walk out of this room and back into our lives and wonder, where is he? I read and I heard about what he's done. We talk about how God does big things for people. But when we get out there, where, where is he? What about, what about me? If God loves and does awesome things for messed up people, I should be on that list. The power of God exhibited in the word of God through the spirit of God in people's lives. Have, have, you, have you walked on water? Have you been in massive danger and God just eradicated it? Why doesn't God do for us what he did 
for them. Have you ever wondered about that? Does God feel absent in your biggest problems? Does he feel absent in your life? (laughs) Notice verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, last week we finished chapter 16. In the very last verse of chapter 16, we read some interesting words. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. It has been 13 years between chapter 16 and chapter 17. For us, it's the turn of a page or the swipe of a tablet. For Abraham, it it was 13 years of not hearing from God. I think it's important to remember, because as we read the Word of God, we see somebody struggling, and God shows up, and boom, miraculous. And then the next moment, somebody's struggling, and God does something, boom, the miraculous. We tend to fail to recognize what's taking place. Thirteen years have gone by. It's a turn of a page for us. It's 13 years of not hearing from God for Abram. You need to remember that, because if you don't, you will become frustrated with God and his word. You will think that you are less than because God's not doing for you what he did for them. He waited 13 years. You may be waiting 13 years. He's doing the exact same for you, nothing less. Have you ever walked out of church wondering, when do my Goliaths get killed? When does my healing happen? When do I get some compassion? When do I get some understanding? When do the lions in my life have their mouths shut? When do I get to go through the fire and not get burned? Where is God for me the way he was for them? This book is full of stories of God stepping in and doing incredible things in people's lives and circumstances. But it's 13 years. Last week, Ishmael was born. This week, he's 13 years old. One week for us. 13 years of waiting for Abram. Why does that matter? Because perspective is everything. If you fail to notice it's been 13 years, the Bible will frustrate you before it ever gets to encourage you. You have to understand the context. Some of you gave your life to Jesus last year. 43 of the people that will attend today in the last month. You come to church and you hear God's word. You leave each week going back into a world where you still carry your baggage. You still fight the temptations that you've struggled with. You're you're still dealing with the problems that you want to overcome. It's all there. You're still wrestling with why more hasn't changed in your life. And you're thinking, it's been a year. Wait, 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 wait. It's only been a year. Our granddaughter, Ellie, you may have heard of her, the most precious almost two-year-old on the planet. If, if you've seen a child and think, I think she is the most precious two-year-old almost on the planet. It's her. That's Ellie. You've met her. Here's the thing about Ellie. She has no idea. She is oblivious to the changes that have taken place in her life over the last year. But those of us who love her are not. We see what she cannot see. And often in your moment, in your struggle, as you're in the 13 years You are oblivious to what God is actually doing, and you can't see it, and you don't feel the changes. But people around you do, and beyond that, God does. It's who he is. Often what you don't see, we see. It's been a year. 
of you following Jesus, if you gave your life to Jesus a year ago. It's been a year of you messing up, but learning to lean into faith and grace when you do. In the last year, your entire eternity has shifted. You're creating a new life with new patterns and new thinking, and new results take time. You and I spend years messing up our lives. But look at the positive change in just one year. Abram's been waiting 24 years on a promise from God. He's 99 now, and heaven's been silent for 13 years. Can you imagine how desperate he must have been to hear from God? And yet we take for granted the ability to hear from God. Abram had no Bible. You and I can hear from God any moment we want. Open the book, you can hear from God. But hold on. Is that that supposed to help me? Are are you saying God might eventually move in my life in about two decades? Maybe. Perhaps. But part of the message of this passage is something we may not want to hear, but it's something we need to hear. It's that this passage is simply saying if you're following Jesus, you're headed in the right direction. If, If you're following Jesus, but he hasn't fixed everything yet, Keep following. We, we tend to microwave Bible stories and assume God was instantaneous in changing everything for people forgetting that what we're reading often took years and years and years. What does that mean for you and me? Faith is not something that's built overnight. It grows by trusting and following for years. Please hear me. Faith is not something that's built overnight. It grows by trusting and following for years. Hey, you think God's not doing much in your life? You're here. Do you know how many people aren't? You're you're here. You're learning. You're growing. You're thinking. Many of you, there was a time in your life, I know this because I've talked to you, I won't use your name, but many of you have said things to me like, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that I would be in church one day, Never. You don't see what God's doing, but it's, it's evident. You're in church this morning. Now, maybe you spent years and years creating pain in your life, building pain in your relationships and pain in your marriage and pain in your finances, and you're in a, a struggle to try to overcome all that, and, and you're frustrated that it's not all fixed really fast by God who's supposed to be able to do it all. Listen, you're on the path. You're on the journey. You're taking the journey, and it leads to where you'd like to be, but it is a process. Just like Ellie going from one to two takes time, you growing spiritually, me growing spiritually, it takes time. And we cannot undo in a year messes we built in a decade. It takes time. So before we get into more great stories of what God's done, maybe take a moment to pause and think about what God's brought you from. Learn to celebrate what God has brought you from as much as where you'd like him to take you. Because if you spend a lifetime looking into a future of what you hope God will do one day, but it hasn't happened yet, it will seem like God is not working in your life. It's when we pause and think about where we were before we met Jesus and who we were before we met Jesus And all that he's done in our lives to get us to this point. Hey, you're in church today. That's when we see his faithfulness 
and have a hopefulness for the future. I see so many people entirely focused on what they hope God will do in the next thing and in the future and how they struggle because he hasn't yet, completely forgetting he changed you. You're not who you were five years ago, ten years ago. And yeah, there have been some struggles. And you've messed some things up, and I've messed some things up. And God has been better to us than any of us deserve. But when you never pause to look at what God has done and how God has blessed you and the things we can be grateful for, that's what builds the foundation to hold on to hope and trust for the future of what God's going to do. Don't just think about what he hasn't done yet. Pay attention and be grateful for what he's already done. Don't be like most of the lepers who Jesus healed and they didn't even bother to come back and say thank you. We forget so quickly what God has done for us. You're here. In the last few years, has there been any spiritual growth in your life? Has there been any change for God in your life? Think about what you'll be and who you'll be in a few more years. You're good. It may take more time than you want. It may take another 24 years, but, but keep following, and you'll get there. Now, if there's been no change in your life, you may have said some words in a prayer, but it didn't transform your life. You need to think about that. When you know God and you invite him into your life, God is big, he's powerful, he's going to begin to change some things. If there's been no change, you didn't give God your life. Faith is not built overnight. It grows by trusting and following for years. But, but notice verse 3. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be, not based on your behavior, not based on your perfection, not based on how good you are. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. This is where he changes the name. For I've made you a father of many nations. His name goes from meaning great dad to father of nations. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will, make you, I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Abram to Abraham. He changes his name. Has God changed your name? I mean, your name's still the same. But when people hear your name, do they think today what they thought 10 years ago? God can change your name without changing the letters. Who you are, how you've changed as a person. I got to tell you, the Byron of 15, 16 years old, I, I've had a name change. It's still Byron, but it, it means something very, very different. What about you? God has the ability and the power as we grow and as we follow him to change us. What do people think when they hear your name? And is it different than what they thought 10 years ago? God still changes his name. Does yours mean something new? The first eight verses tell us three very specific things about God. Very quickly, number one, he's living. The Lord appeared to Abram. He's a living God. He showed up. Number two, he speaks. God spoke to Abram. God is a speaking God. He wants to speak into our lives, not on our timetable, but on his. Number three, he has a purpose and a destiny for each of us. Here he reveals his purpose for Abram, Abraham. But our great God has just as much a purpose for you and for your life. Verse 15, this is interesting. 
God also said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you no longer call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. <laughs> People are going to say it the same, but spell it differently on checks from now on. People are going to call her Sarah. I will bless her. Here's the thing. The first Sarah means a kind of selfishness in being a princess. The second Sarah means princess of all. It's the meaning that's changed. So maybe your name hasn't changed in how people pronounce it, but has the meaning of your name changed since you met Jesus? If you're growing spiritually, it has. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. This promise has already been fulfilled. All the countries in the Middle East, there are three groups of people that come from Abraham. The Jewish people, he's their father. The Arab nations with kings, the father, it's come true. Christians, spiritually, Abraham is our father. Abram, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, I, I love this. Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might, have, might, might live under your blessing. He, he laughed. Now, some people say this was him doubting God. I don't think so. I think he thinks, okay, God, I hear you, but this is, this is kind of hilarious. Like, do you know how old I am? Viagra's not even invented yet. How is this going to, how are we doing this? How is this going to happen exactly? Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. Hey, hey bless Ishmael. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. The name means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. There's that word again. For his descendants and after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and will greatly increase his numbers, and he will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Now he's been given a time frame. We wish God would do that at the beginning. God, okay, tell me how long it's going to take. Tell me what you're going to do. But we watch Abraham walk faithfully with God, screwing up on Sundays, some days, blowing up his life on some days, doubting on some days, wrestling with his faith on some days. But 24 years, he continues to follow God. And then God says, okay, about another year. He gives him a time frame. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. You walk in this room and you hear me say that God loves you and wants to use you, wants to bless you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to lead you to a life of significance. And some of you, when you hear that on the inside, you laugh. <laughs> Not me. You laugh because you know you. You laugh because I know me. You ask anybody that knew me before I gave my life to Jesus, there is no way in a thousand heavens they would ever think I would be standing on a platform talking about Jesus. You ask the girl that I dated in high school that became my bride. When I told, see, I started dating her, I was going to be a dentist. Everybody's going to have pretty teeth and a lot of money. It wasn't until after we'd been dating a while that I said, hey, God wants me to be in ministry. If you could have seen her face, she's like, but you're shy. You don't talk to anybody. Like, how are we going to do this? God usually will take people to do something that he wants them to do and make it so obvious that it's him doing it because they can't. That, that's, that, that's what he does. But, but you, you hear God tell this and you, all the promise. Do, do you ever just kind of laugh to yourself? Not for me. I mean, God may do that for some people. But, but, man, you don't know my background. You don't know my story. You don't know the things I've blown up and messed up. You don't know the, you don't know the time that I've lost that I can't get back. And I think God's okay with us laughing at this. 
I think he probably even smiles a little bit because of how absurd it is, how impossible it seems. He knows we laugh, and he grins, just like a loving father would, and then he does everything he promised. And Abraham asked such an obvious question. Why don't you just bless Ishmael? I mean, why don't you just, I mean, it's been 13 more years. I don't have a kid yet. Just bless Ishmael. And God says, I will. But my people will come out of a covenant with you. Out of the impossible in what seems hopeless and ridiculous. My people will not come from something you think you had to fix for me because you doubted me. I will do what I said, and that's how it'll be. I'm the God of surprises. I'm the God of the unexpected. I'm the God of the impossible. I bring hope to the hopeless and possibility to the impossible. That's God. See, the more broken you are and the more impossible it looks, the more God gets the credit when he does it. Have you noticed God is blessing Abraham to save people. We chase the blessings of God because of what we want him to do for us. God's perspective is he always blesses for what he's going to do through us. He's he's blessing Abraham to save people. He says, you're going to be the father of a nation, and from that nation, my son will come, and my son will save humanity, will save the world. Hey, in the same way, God blesses you and me, and God saves you and me to save people. God hasn't saved you just for you. He saved you to impact the lives around you, to change others by meeting him. If you think following Jesus is this thing where it's all a consumer mentality, and you just get the goodness of God and the blessing of God and the forgiveness of God, and you fail to realize that God has saved you to save other people, listen, listen, listen. If you've met Jesus, why are you still on planet Earth? There's only one thing you can do here that we won't do in heaven forever. If this was all just for you, the moment you meet Jesus, God would take you to heaven. And there we're going to worship God. We're going to pray to God. We're going to have fellowship and connection with other Christ followers. There's only one thing we can do here that we won't do there, and that is help save other people. You were saved. I was saved. We were changed by God to save people, and you have a massive opportunity. Christmas and Easter, it's the two times a year almost everybody you invite will come. I want to encourage you to begin this week. Don't wait. And if you've looked at the website, you know the services are filling up. Like some of them, they're going to be full and closed before long. If you've not registered for Christmas Eve, man, register. But hey, 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 in the month that we celebrate the birth of a Savior, he saved us, and he loves every single person we lock eyes with, please don't register yourself without inviting at least five people. Like, text that link, c3church.cc forward slash Christmas. Text it to some friends. Man, I hope you'll join me. Which service can you attend? Use this opportunity. I don't understand. I'm being really, really honest right now. I do not understand the mentality of somebody that says, I know Jesus, but they don't ever invite anybody else. If you had the cure to cancer and you kept it a secret, how cruel would that be? You have the cure to hopelessness in life. You have the cure to peace in eternity. You have the cure to people being able to actually know God. You have the cure to help broken people feel like God still loves me and wants me even though I've screwed up my life. How selfish are we if we keep that to ourselves? 
I, I don't know how God looks at people that say they know him, but they never try to invite or get anybody else to know him. That blows my mind. Man, use this opportunity. This week, you should be a texting machine. Remember when they used to charge for how many texts you'd send back in the day? Some of you are way too young to remember that. They don't do that anymore. It's free 99, like text like crazy. You should be inviting people like crazy this week. And you, because here's the reality. I told somebody this this morning. You have no idea when people walk through the doors into this lobby what's happened in their lives in the last week. You have no idea what's going on in people's lives. And your text may hit at the exact time when somebody's doing something, God is doing something in somebody's life that you have no idea of. And they're thinking, maybe we should, maybe we should think about church. Maybe we should think about God. Maybe we should go to a Christmas service. But going to a church you've never been to is intimidating. Did you know one of the most common questions I get asked from people that don't go to our church is, do I have to be a member to attend? Like, people just don't know. And so invite. Let them know they're welcome. But, but wait, I, I, I need to go back to verse 1 just, just for a moment, just for a moment, because you need to see this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. <laughs> I can't do that. Be blameless. Blameless in the language does not mean sinless. Blameless means a heart's desire to live sinless. It doesn't mean a reality of it because I screw up. It just means a perspective of I want to live in a way that honors God. I'm striving. I'm trying. I'm pursuing. I'm going to blow it. But the default position of my life is I want to live in a way that, that honors God. I, I desire to live for Jesus and honor him. This is not a command toward perfection. It's an encouragement about your direction. Walk with me and desire to follow me. Desire to follow my word. You won't be perfect, and when you mess up, God says over and over again, my grace is sufficient. Maybe you need to hear today that failure is an event, not a person. Failure doesn't define you. It's a moment you screwed up. Can I just tell you, Every single person sitting on your row has failed. Can I say that the guy that you're hearing his voice has failed? Failure is an event. Do not ever let failure define you. It's an event. It's a moment. Get back up. Keep following. Keep trusting. And don't stop. So what is your direction as a follower of Jesus? Well, following Jesus is more than having a weekend God. Following Jesus is way more than an hour on Sunday. What if I said to Angie, hey, babe, love you to death. I'm going to spend an hour a week with you. rest of the time, I got things I want to do. And I got needs. I got things I got to pursue. Like, what kind of marriage? We wouldn't have a marriage. That's not a relationship. When you pop in an hour a week and that's all you do, and you're not putting Jesus first financially, you're not finding a way to serve through the local church, which is the hope of the world, you're not finding a way to invite people, you're not spending time with Jesus every single day, you're performing a religious ritual. You're not building a relationship. Following Jesus is something that is more than having a weekend God. And following Jesus is more than having God as a genie just to pop in and fix your problems when you're in crisis. And following Jesus, it's more than having a convenient faith. Where does your spiritual life fit in the list of your priorities? Jesus calls 
the church, his bride. He says in Scripture that he's coming back for the church. Church is a big deal to God. It was his idea. He created it to be the hope of the world. Where does your spiritual life fall in your priorities if you pop in once or twice a month? The thing that will build your life more than anything else is your spiritual life. Parents, what kind of legacy are you leaving and what are you teaching your children if church on Sunday is optional? You can't show me chapter and verse in the Bible that says it's optional. In fact, Hebrew says, do not forsake the gathering, the assembling together like some are in the habit of doing. What are you doing? I mean, yes, we miss you when you're not here, but you're missing out. And you're creating a pattern and a thinking in your life, and especially those of you that are parents. Where would your kids say your spiritual life ranks in your priorities? You don't become spiritual champions by not showing up for practice. This is where who you are is built. This is, according to Scripture, an essential part of our spiritual growth and our spiritual lives. This is where we're learning and growing and developing. And by the way, it's not just for you. If you view church as optional, you're one of the most selfish people on the planet because you think you pop in for what you get out of it. When you view church as something that's part of your spiritual life and spiritual discipline, you begin to learn, this isn't just about me. I get to go there and serve. I get to go there and make a difference. I get to go there and hug somebody or shake somebody's hand that nobody's been warm and welcoming to all week long. I don't just miss you when you're not here. Other people miss you, and we miss out. You miss out, we miss out. To claim the promises of God, you have to walk with God. Fake Christianity, fake Christianity says God has given us promises, you just claim it. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. God invites us to call him Father. And the best relationship that we can have with Dad comes from walking and spending time with Dad. Going where Dad goes, following what Dad says. We're building a relationship. And when you do this, you'll be blown away by where he takes you. Not on your timetable, but, but you'll get there. And when you're walking with Dad, a God who invites us to call him Father, the journey is as good as the destination. But we missed something. I don't know if you noticed. We skipped verse 9. Let's don't skip verse 9. Let's go back to verse 9. Verse 9. Then God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. This covenant is a big, big deal to God. Thirteen times in one chapter. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, if you're here today and you're like, ah, what is circumcision? Circumcision is when, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> but parents, you might have some interesting lunch conversations. That's why C3Kids is the bomb.com. Your kids will grow more in their faith and learn more about God on their level at the other end of the building than in here every single Sunday. But notice, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is with your flesh to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So apparently, one way or another, you're going to be cut off. <laughs> you choose. 
on that very day, on that very day, but, but before I get there, why circumcision? Let me just talk to the men for a second. God is going to address and cause it to be a sacrifice in the area that you struggle with the most. In the area that we live with the most struggle in our thought life, in our habits, in our practices, God says that, that, that thing that's going to get you in the most trouble, the thing that you're going to crave and chase and worship even more than me at times, I want you to sacrifice even that. And I want you to live in a way that's holy and that honors me. I want you to follow my teachings. I know the best way for you to live your sexuality. I make it very, very clear in the word of God. Stop doing spiritual gymnastics to excuse how you want to live and submit your life to me and live in a way that honors me. On that very day, <laughs> now if God had said to you, hey, I've got to cut something, would you, same day, or would you say, I need to pray about this. Let, let me do, I need, I need, it's going to be a minute. You might not show back up to church ever. By the way, next weekend, or today, today, 11 o'clock in Growth Track, we don't circumcise anybody. Like, this is not a part of, this is, this is just different. But, but on that very day, look at how fast Abraham is to say yes to what God asked him to do. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99. <laughs> that just, that's just funny. 99 years old, no anesthetic, sharp rock. He was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. You think you hate your dad. And Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abram's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Remember in chapter 14, Abraham goes to war with the trained men from his family. We read there were 318 men. This has been years. Now we're 13 years later. Biblical scholars believe there are now between 1,500 and 2,000 men in his household. And all of them get the choppy choppy. 1,500 to 2,000 men in one day. Have you ever thought about this? What did he take those trained men to do? To fight. It was a violent culture and a violent world. How vulnerable is Abraham when he has all of his men do what God said? When is the best day to attack people? The day after they got circumcised? Or in the few days after? Do you realize how vulnerable this put his entire family in that culture? Do you realize it set them up to be overtaken, to be attacked? It set up the end of this family, except for the fact he's obeying God. It is never a risk to say yes to what God asks us to do, no matter how it looks. He's willing to be vulnerable. Thank you, both of you. And, and he holds nothing back. He obeys fully. So here's the question today. Here's the question for this week. As we begin the month of December, as we roll into Christmas, here's the question. Is there anything that God could ask of you that's too big? Like, this is crazy. What is it in your life that God would say, hey, I want you to sacrifice that. I want you to give me that. Where do you say no to God? And by the way, anything less than yes is no. What is it for you? Your relationships? At least half of you say no to putting Jesus first financially. 
God's made it crystal clear. Forgiving someone, is that, is that where somebody hurts you? And listen, they, they hurt you in a deep and life-changing way. And you're called to forgive, but you say no. What is the thing that God is asking you to do that you keep saying no? Is there anything too big for God to ask of you? For some of you, life's been hard. Abram hasn't heard from God for 13 years. You feel like heaven's been way too silent. The things I'm wrestling with, the things I'm struggling with, I'm trying to follow God. For some of you, the thing that you feel like it's too big of an ask is when God says, trust me. But you will never live the life you were created to live. You will never fulfill the purpose that God put you on earth for. You will never experience the benefit and the blessing of a saving God using you to save other people if you hold back. On the same day, he went all in. And if there's anything in your life that God could ask of you that's too big, you're settling for a less than life. It, it, it's only in full surrender that we find full freedom and can live the life God created us to live. Would you pray with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're a Christ follower, I want to encourage you this week to really talk to God and deal with whatever it is he would ask you that you feel like is too big and too much and too hard and try to develop in your life a full surrender and a yes to God in that area of your life. And please hear me. You will not regret that. You will not regret that. Or maybe you're here today and the thing that God is asking you and maybe you even sense it this morning that you've not said yes to is to give your life to him. If you've never invited Jesus to come into your life and forgive your sin, to give you a home in heaven after this life and his spirit to live inside you in this life, he said to Abraham, I'm God Almighty. I've got you. Walk with me. This is how you begin the journey of walking with God. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But I'd love to lead you in a prayer where today you give your life to Jesus. You accept his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness into your life. You accept his spirit into your life and the benefits of, of knowing God and walking with God. And, and this day, it's not done when you say amen. You're beginning a new journey and a new season of your life where you change your eternity. If that's you, man, I, I can't think of one reason not to do it today. I want to encourage you. This is your day. Just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. Father's best I know how, I commit my life to you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. 
And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.